This piece is called A Look in the Mirror. As bitterness grows, it remains invisible, yet all the clearer, to really extract it from the heart. It starts with a mirror. It's just that, I mean, some of us have the right to be bitter, you know? Like, for me, I grew up without a dad to show me the ropes, and because of that, Father's Day puts a lump in my throat. You know, I hoped that he would come back, and he choked, and I hoped that he would choose me over dope. And, well, that's why I don't smoke. And maybe you know someone that steals. Maybe you know someone that's cheated. Maybe you know someone that always tears you down, especially when they get heated. And you know, we do our best to treat others the way we want to be treated, but you can't just unsee the stuff that's so deeply seated. Like, I know that Jesus died and he's just what we needed, but honestly, I kind of want to watch them be defeated. Like, I was angry at one point, and I'm sure that's okay. But now, time has moved on, and it's clear that I've overstayed. And my anger's just loitering, and now there's this stain right where the worst of their worst has become a refrain. It just feeds the contempt, and it feeds the disdain till their sin has been burned into the very matter of my brain. Like, don't they know what they did? Don't they have any shame? When they get what they deserve, they'll only have themselves to blame. Because I can see what they really are. They're a wolf in sheep's skin. And I have evidence, and I can play it again and again until the hammer falls on the sentence for their sin. And I'll even play some background music on the world's smallest violin. I know what you deserve. It's just a matter of when. You know, this, uh, this style of thinking is dangerous. And before you know it, in your pleads for justice, you'll forget the mercy that you were given. You won't know what it means to walk humbly with this life that you're living. If you don't know how to forgive, but you know how to be forgiven, is it not by love's, it's not by love's presence but by its absence that you're actually driven. Bitterness itself is a perpetual loose end where justice expired and love just won't blend. It doesn't care for what they thought, where they are now, or if they repent, because what they did has been etched into your heart of cement. You'll imprison yourself, and until you disengage, you'll never really know what it means to be uncaged. As bitterness grows, it remains invisible, yet all the clearer. To really extract it from the heart, it will start with a mirror. We need to free ourselves from the counting of the sins of others. Forgiving and pardoning no neither number nor end. You need not worry about your own rights, since they are already taken care of with God. You may forgive without end. <laughs>
Forgiveness has neither beginning nor end. It takes place daily, unceasingly, for ultimately it comes from God. This is what liberates us from the forced relationships with others, for here we are liberated from ourselves. wrestling with bitterness, not only because it edifies us, but because I, I feel like it models for us what needs to happen in our lives to free ourselves from this cancer of bitterness. It involves a letting, allowing God to extract this judgment from our hearts. And today we turn our attention to the book of Jonah, chapter four, we're gonna talk about the world's worst prophet, a guy named Jonah. A man whose story is very comedic until we get to the last chapter and realize that it's a tragedy. And that the reason that he acted the way he did throughout the book is because there's this bitterness in his heart that is destroying his life. So we're gonna read in a minute, I'll give you a little intro and then we're gonna read Jonah, a few verses of Jonah chapter four. I was thinking about this concept of, of bitterness and what it's like in the world this week when I was making lunch for my children. I was using my favorite kitchen appliance, which is this uh, circular metal thing that you put over the top of an apple and you can cut it into 12 slices, which if you don't have one of those, it's probably because you're not making six lunches every day. So just I feel like a machine. And yet in my haste to get these lunches done, I forgot how the machine in my hands worked. And so I pushed it down and it got this apple in it and they filleted and then I flipped it upside down to kind of push out the apple core and I forgot that every one of these like 12 pieces of metal are razor sharp and so I just stuck my thumb you can see it, Wilma. You can stuck my thumb right into the blade and just, ah. And I got hit with this like one, two, three punch of emotions, right? There's this fear, then there's blood and like, ah, like whatever the next emotion is that like, ah. And then emotion number three, like the uppercut emotion, is frustration. I'm like, oh, jeez. This is gonna hurt tomorrow. <laughs> I think the, the biggest piece of frustration for me in that moment, or maybe you've had this, right? You're working on your car, and you're doing something with a wrench and the wrench like slips and you punch the underside of your car and just slice open your knuckles. You ever done that? It's like, ah, right? <laughs> Fear, anger, frustration, because you know what you should do in that moment, really? Just drop your tools, slide out from under your car, Go inside, wash your hands, hydrogen, which one? It's important, peroxide, right? Clean it out, polysporin, bandage it, put on a big old glove, and then go back to work, right? But nobody wants to do that. I'll do it later. I'm just gonna keep working, right? I'm gonna like stick a paper towel around it, tie it real tight, keep cutting apples, and try to rinse off the blood that lands on my kid's food, right? It's, it doesn't make any sense but there's something in us that's hesitant to do the right thing, to clean the wound. Like, I'll do it later, and then we forget. And then the next morning, like me, you wake up, you're like, oh geez, now it's all red and swollen and infected. 
You're wondering why does this remind you of forgiveness and bitterness? As everything does these days. When we talk about forgiveness in a sense that forgiveness is like cleaning out the wound. It's something someone has hurt you in some way, they've cut you in some way, and, and what you should do in that moment is you should go to the Lord and say, God, please take this away. Go to them and say, hey, can we have a conversation? Let's mend fences. Let's clean out all of the bacteria that's here inside of me. Let's get it clean. Let's deal with it properly immediately. Let's not let this thing fester. That's what we've talked about. Week one and week two is how to forgive. But we've also admitted that most of us have a really hard time doing it. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And eventually we wake up one morning and we realize that the wound has become infected. And today as we talk about bitterness, I think in this analogy of cuts and splinters, bitterness is infection of the soul. And bitterness is what happens when the wound that is in us just doesn't heal properly. Bitterness is the pain that hurts us by refusing to forgive those who've sinned against us. Maya Angelou says it this way. She says that, that bitterness is like cancer. It eats its host. It destroys us from the inside. Psychologists say that bitterness is when we have this anger, this resentment, we refuse to forgive, we just won't let it go, eventually bitterness comes in and it heals wrong or it gets messed up inside and now we walk with a limp or we can't move properly or we're affected in some negative way in our lives as a result. My social scientists say that the way to get rid of bitterness is, you guessed it, forgiveness. Yet the problem is, no one wants to forgive because they feel like bitterness gives them power. When really, from the outside looking in, bitterness is powerlessness. We're just suffering alone and languishing in our little micro kingdom, trying to pitch judgment from afar. You're wondering, do I have bitterness in my life? How do I know if I have bitterness in my life? Is there a wound that hasn't healed? Do you know how to know if you have bitterness in your life? It's the same way as how you know if a cut has become infected. You just touch it and it hurts. Right, I cut myself in my backyard the other day and I woke up and it's fine. Like I could touch it, no big deal, right? My apple cut still hurts when I touch it, right? There's something messed up in there that I should have dealt with more differently. There are things in your life that have hurt you and it's been years but it still hurts when you touch it, right? You see that person on the other side of the restaurant and your heart starts beating really fast. Like, I hope I don't see them. I hope they don't see me. I hope we don't run into each other. Right? You're in the privacy of your own home. You're scrolling through your Facebook feed and you see that person's name and this rage enters into your mind. And all of a sudden, your brain goes on to autopilot for an hour about the conversation you had and where it went wrong and why you're mad and how you're justified and what you're gonna do to make sure your friends keep knowing what they did against you because you're in pain still. By not cleaning out the wound in the ways we've talked about in the first two weeks of this series, Bitterness has set in. 
Bitterness might be a diagnosis for a problem you've experienced for a long time and never realized that bitterness is actually what you were experiencing. Now that's the case with Jonah. If you're new to the Bible or new to church, I'll give you the the very quick version of the story of Jonah. Jonah was, like I said, the world's worst prophet. In the Old Testament, it's like a comedy. It's, so, it's crazy. God tells Jonah, your job as a prophet, like if you don't know what a prophet is, a prophet's supposed to listen to God and go say what he says to the people he says it to say it to. God tells Jonah, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up against me. And Jonah says, no. Like, what? That's not what prophets do. It's like, nah, no, no, no. He gets on a boat and he's like, he buys a one-way plane ticket the opposite direction. And he's trying to flee God and God's like, what? So God reaches out from heaven and like starts shaking the waters around the boat. And what Jonah should say at that moment is like, okay, 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 I relent, I'll go to Nineveh. But instead he goes to the sailors and says, hey, my God's after me. He convinces them to drown him so that he won't have to fulfill God's calling on his life. So they're like, all right, sounds good to us, right? They drown him. He starts sinking to the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea and he's praying to the Lord and then God sends a a great fish to swallow him and he spits him out on the shores of Nineveh. (laughs) So Jonah goes and preaches the world's worst sermon in obedience to God. Yet 40 days and then it will be overturned. Yet 40 days and then it will be overturned. And everyone starts to repent and turn to God. Jonah's like, I knew it. World's worst prophet. He goes up onto a hillside and he like folds his arm and like sits down to kind of watch like what's gonna happen in the next 40 days. Is God really gonna destroy him or is he gonna forgive him like God tends to do? And then God shows up in Jonah chapter four and he says, Jonah, can we talk about your attitude (laughs) the last few weeks? And God, like this masterful surgeon, diagnoses this problem of bitterness in Jonah's life and takes him through these steps that are supposed to provide perspective and healing. And so we're gonna read uh, Jonah chapter four. We're actually gonna start with verse 10 of chapter three and then read the first few verses of chapter four to kind of get the context of God's conversation with Jonah. This is in verse 10 of chapter three, that when God saw what the Ninevites did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. (laughs) Just picturing me praying a prayer like this. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right 
for you to be angry? God starts a conversation with Jonah uh, that tries to remove this cancer of bitterness from his heart. I'm gonna give you three points today about bitterness. So if you write things down, write down this first thing. Here comes the first one. We see this from this text and we see this from human nature. We see this from life. Bitterness is a result of failing to remove judgment from your heart. And we talked about this infection analogy. Imagine that, it's, that this whole concept is like you get a splinter, right? Like maybe you're walking down the stairs and you've got like a wood handrail and you're like, ah! Right, we've talked about infection is bitterness, right? That's what happens. Infection is when the thing doesn't heal properly. But, but the, the splinter that's inside you, the splinter that was inside Jonah that needed to get removed was a thing called judgment. We've talked about this concept of judgment throughout the series, but we'll, we'll talk about it again, that we believe in forgiveness, that what forgiveness is doing is handing our sin over to God and saying, you know what, it's your job to judge. That's when we sin against God. Uh, a lot of times what we're doing when we sin against God is that we are incurring something that could bring judgment on ourselves. And so what you should do when you sin against God is you can get on your knees and say, God, I'm so sorry. And God takes the judgment away. He says it, it's forgiven. We've talked about this. But what happens when we refuse to address our sin, our own personal sin, per, like in the proper way, is that we refuse to, to bring it to the Lord. And so this sin remains and the judgment remains. Right? The feeling of judgment from God remains heavy upon us. This feeling of judgment on our own sins remains heavy upon us. Right? Some of us who have sinned in a kind of repetitive way and we feel like it just doesn't feel fair that I can come and confess this to God, we feel like we need to sit under our own judgment for our sins for a while before we're comfortable bringing our sin to God so that he might remove the judgment and give us freedom again. This is, the bitterness can emerge if we never go to God and have this forgiveness because the judgment just remains on us and we start resenting ourselves for the sins that we're in that have not been forgiven. That's what it works just between us and God. Now, when it's somebody else in us, somebody sins against us, what we should do, we talked about this last week, is we should take their sin and bring it to the Lord and let God remove that. Take, God, it's yours to repay, judgment is yours, I'm not the king, I'm merely your servant, I'm gonna go and deal with this, God, you deal with the judgment part. But what we, when we don't confess their sin and give it to the Lord, what we do is we let that dagger stay in us, that splinter stay in us, and all of a sudden the judgment starts falling on us, right? We become judgmental towards them. We sit in judgment over them. We are hoping that they receive their just desserts for the things they've done against us. We sit in this place where we are not letting God remove the judgment because we want to see judgment fall upon them. And that's where Jonah is in this moment uh, when he's relating with the Lord is he's sitting in judgment over Nineveh. He wants to see them punished and he has this attitude of like, I knew it. I knew God would bring forgiveness. I was trying so hard to make them experience the judgment they deserve. It's interesting, Jonah says in this passage, I, the reason I never even came to Nineveh is I knew if I came, you were gonna forgive them when they repented. 
So part of me wonders if well, the reason that Jonah was refusing to step into the call of God was almost like this reversed Esther situation where Jonah's saying, you know what? If I don't go and preach the gospel to the Ninevites, God can't forgive them, so maybe God will judge them if no one brings the message. I want to see them die in their sins in judgment. And yet now by chapter four, Jonah is dealing with his own personal bitterness for not allowing God to remove the judgment from his heart. Bitterness is when we fail to remove judgment from our hearts. The second thing to write down is that bitterness is based on the lie that some people are not deserving of God's mercy. Right, there's two groups of people in this room right now. One group is saying, ooh, that's good, and write it down. The other group's like, I don't know about that, right? Isn't mercy when God lets you off the hook when you do deserve judgment? It's like, ooh, that's good. You read the Bible, that's good. So for those of you who are uncomfortable with the statement, I'm gonna edit it a little bit. You can write down this version or this next version. I'll change it a little bit for the scholars. Bitterness is based on a lie that some people are less deserving of God's mercy than you. Right, that might be a better way to put it. Right? None of us deserve the mercy of God. And yet, like we talked about last week, we as believers, we received it freely. We went before the Lord and said, God, please forgive my sins. And he did, and it was miraculous, and it was amazing. And we knew, like we sang, I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. Yet you poured out your love on me. It's beautiful, undeserved mercy and grace. And bitterness is when you say, yeah, but I don't want you <laughs> to experience that. And it's based on the slide that in some way that person is less deserving of God's mercy than you are. This is kind of where Jonah's at <laughs> when we read Jonah's account in, in chapter four. In verse two, Jonah has a sentence that's pretty confounding because he's talking about how he wishes that God would destroy the Ninevites. He says, I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity, right? I'm trying to exaggerate the tone to remind you that that's not the tone you're supposed to use when you say those sentences, right? It's like, well, how did Jonah know this? He knew that God is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and rich in love because it's written down in Psalm 145.8. That's a Bible verse that he memorized. That's something that Jonah would use as an Israelite person, as a Jewish person, to praise the Lord. That's something that he would extol about the character of God. God, you are amazing. You are, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. We love our God. But there's something in Jonah it feels, it seems, like, yeah, but that's for us. That's not for them. And scholars feel that Jonah's major issue is something adjacent to, to racism, nationalism, this religious bigotry, this idea that the Ninevites were a global superpower, that were a pagan empire, they were coming and destroying other nations, they worshiped other gods, they were the enemy of the nation of Israel, all those things wrapped up together. Nineveh and Assyria represented all the evil in Joseph's mind in the world. 
And yet Joseph felt like, okay, us on the other side of the spectrum, Israel, God's people, we we are worshipers, we are holy, we are reverent, we love our God, and he has this covenant with us. He sends us mercy and grace in our time of need. And then all of a sudden, Jonah receives this word, I want you to talk about that same message to these people you hate. Jonah's like, no, 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 no. God's mercy is for our people. God's mercy is not for those people. If you're wondering whether or not you struggle with bitterness or you're wondering how to diagnose this in your life or you wanna know kind of how to take some next steps, I'm gonna give you three questions that you can use to diagnose bitterness based on this concept of Jonah's wrestling with Nineveh. The first question is this, in your life, who are those people to you? I was a little hesitant to use like those people in quotes because I know a lot of times in our context in America and in, uh, in our community, this is adjacent to like racism language. A lot of times when you hear people talking about those people, it's someone who's on a, a racist tirade. And this is not only racism, but I think racism is a very good example of, of what bitterness looks like, is that you believe yourself to be part of some group of people that has superior over, superior, superiority over some other group of people, and you're judging this whole group of people, and you're judging an, judging an individual as representing that group. You don't want to see God's favor on that group, right? There's this anger towards an entire group. There's this bitterness. Who knows where it's from, but there's this bitterness in you when you look at someone like them. And at the same time, it's not merely racism. Like I have this bitterness towards white people or black people or Asian Americans or whatever it is. It could be any group of people in your mind that you've got this anger towards. For Jonah, it was Nineveh. For you, it might be people who cut in line at Trader Joe's. Who knows who it is? (laughs) Chances are it's probably somewhere in the middle. There's something about liberals that gets you. There's something about the governor that gets you and people who believe like him. There's something about conservatives that just, oh, geez, please do not talk about that. Trump voters, right? It's like, right? This anger starts welling up in you. Fill in the blank. Millennials, boomers, people who have tons of money, people who don't have tons of money, people who don't have tons of money, but they act like they've got tons of money. People who spend foolishly, and by foolishly I mean different than the way that you spend. People who raise their children like that. People who spank their kids. People who don't spank their kids. People who show discipline. People who are grace-only parents. (sighs) Who are those people to you? I would guess for most of us, we're not filling in the blank right now. (laughs) It's like, there's nobody, I'm fine, I'm fine. But I would guess that if we came back next week, which we will, but this is the part we won't do, and I said, hey, did you have any opportunities this week to see that there's a group of people that you just have this irritation towards in this world? You'd be like, oh my gosh, yes. Who knows who they are? But who are those people to you? Who are the group or the individuals or the individual? Right? You might be, oh, just I can't stand mothers-in-law. It's like, we know you just got one, but okay, right? My mother-in-law is amazing. She's the one who bought me the cool apple slicer, so I don't have bitterness there. <laughs> who are those people to you? Second diagnostic question. 
just a, this is more of a thought question than a convicting question. It's this, what if God is trying to restore the people you're praying he will judge? And this is the case, obviously, in Jonah. This is the one that's right on the nose, right? I knew it! I wanted judgment to fall. I wanted justice to flow from the rivers, or like the river. God, I was praying that you would judge Nineveh. And then Jonah gets all like dramatic on it. He's like, so if you're not gonna judge Nineveh, why don't you just kill me right now? What? What if God is trying to restore the people you are praying he will judge? You know, this judgment aspect of bitterness is huge. And this is the, the, and forgiveness in general, the biggest core concept about forgiveness is that the reason it's inappropriate for you to try to judge someone for their sins is because that's not your job. Right, it's God's job to judge all sins. We're gonna talk about this next week. We're gonna turn the corner on the series and talking about, start talking about when we are the ones who've sinned and not the ones who have been sinned against. And we're gonna talk about the fact that all sin is against God ultimately, that against him and only him have we sinned. And so the reason that judgment is so foreign to Christians should be is because we are the people that believe that God is the only one who can judge. And so we, like we talked about last week, should be lavishing forgiveness, not hoping and praying that people receive the judgment of God. It's the core of the gospel message. So that's what the third diagnostic question for you to wrestle with is, is do you really believe the gospel? And not are you really a Christian? Well, that's a great question. Are you ready to say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I believe that my sins have been forgiven because of his death on the cross. I believe that his resurrection gives me new life. The moment I believed, I believe that I'm his, adopted into his family. I'm one of his kids. I'm heirs to the promises. Yes, I believe I'm a Christian, right? I'm not asking, do you believe you're a Christian? I'm asking, do you really believe the gospel? Do you really believe that God wants forgiveness to reign in his kingdom? Do you really believe that you are off the hook for your sins and so let everyone else off the hook for their sins? If you have a hard time imagining with a smile someone receiving the forgiveness of God, there's a chance there's a piece of the gospel that has not yet taken root in your heart and instead a splinter that's causing bitterness of judgment is there and it needs to be removed. Now God shows up in chapter four not to kill Jonah in response. I heard your prayer, Jonah. (laughs) God shows up to try to do some surgery on Jonah's infected heart. So if you feel like this has kind of been a downer so far, point number three is a really good one and it's this. God wants to free you from your bitterness. That's what he wants to do. I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert. Uh, just like VeggieTales, Jonah was a prophet, but he never really got it. Sad, but true, right? He never gets it. And the good news for us about Jonah never getting it in the book is that we get to have a front row seat to watch how God tries with surgical precision to remove bitterness from the heart of Jonah. Right? And I say surgical precision because it's a lot like surgery, right? That you go to a doctor, you've got a splinter, it's infected. You're like, I can't turn this thing out. Right? There's a chance the doctor's just gonna come and be like, let me see, tweezer, psst, it's gone. You're like, oh my gosh, thank you, right? That's step one. The doctor might be like, yeah, 
we're going to have to scrub that thing out. Like, ah! right? Scalpel comes out, wire brush comes out. This is why you don't go to the doctor, I know that. <laughs> but that's what it takes to get it out. That's stage two. All right, stage three, and this happens sometimes in infections, is that it just gets so bad, it becomes this whole body infection that's destroying us, like fevers and shivering, like this, in, this infection has gotten into our system. And that's where Jonah's at. And Jonah, it seems, never recovers. And yet we get to watch God as he comes in these three different phases and comes to Jonah and tries to remove the spinnerness. So phase one, we see God comes to Jonah. This is him just trying to slide out the splinter. He just asks him a very basic question. In verse four, we read this earlier. The Lord replies, is it right for you to be angry? Right, if you've got something that's acute right now, right, the splinter just went in a week ago and you're still irritated. Right, let God ask you that question. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry about the person who cut you off in traffic? Is it right for you to be angry about the person who made that comment behind your back? Is it right for you to be angry about the person who hurts you in that way? Is it right for you to be angry? Right, there's a couple of responses we could give. We could say, yeah, God, yes. Like what happened to me was egregious and God would say, I agree, I'm gonna deal with it. Can you give it to me? It's like, oh, okay, right? Then he said, let me ask you again. Is it right for you to be angry? Like, I guess not, that's your job. Right? Sometimes there's a righteous anger and God will, you will say, yes, I think it is. And God will say, you are right to be angry. Go and do something with that anger. Change the world, bring justice. Do the thing I've called you to do in result of your righteous anger, right? And there's other times when God says, is it right for you to be angry? You'll be like, yeah, no, no, it's not. I, I'm just bitter, I'm just mad. I really wish I would have won that whatever, but they want it instead, it's dumb, I'm sorry. Right, Jonah should have said, no, it's not right for me to be angry. We can't do it. And kind of the modern day application of that, is it right for you to be angry, in the context of what we've talked about today, for you is this question, can you let go of bitterness and hand judgment over to God? Right? If you're bitter about anything, can you let go of your bitterness and say, God, can you please, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna escalate this to my manager, right? God, can you deal with this person that's really frustrating me? Right, maybe that's a good analogy for you, right? If someone's bugging you at work and you're like, oh my gosh, I just cannot deal with this client anymore. Sometimes you're like, you know what? Let me have you talk to my supervisor, right? Like, can you please deal with this person, right? That's kind of what this is in some ways. Saying, you know what, God? I'm gonna trust that you will deal with this. And so I'm gonna work to mend fences. I'm gonna work to live in freedom. I trust that you are perfect in your justice and you will bring judgment in your perfect time. Right? I trust you. Jonah couldn't do that. Because Jonah did not want to see the people forgiven. He knew that if he uplinked it to his manager, the manager would say, you know what? Yeah, let me just give you 50% off. He's like, no, no, kick him out of the store. Tell him never to come back. I knew you were like that. God says, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah's like, humph. He doesn't say that in the text, humph. But I'm assuming that's what he says because he doesn't say anything. He just goes and sits down and starts watching for these next 40 days, like, I hope judgment comes on these people because that's what I promised in my sermon, right? It's like, okay, okay, okay. 
So God's like, all right, we're gonna have to escalate. Brings out the wire brush, the scalpel. Not in a torture way, in a surgeon way. Don't miss mistake this <laughs> And he comes back to Jonah and he takes him on a different path. Like, okay, let's take, let's take a different route. And I love this. This is like, this is where I just, God is creative and beautiful. So, so God's like, let's try a different angle to show Jonah that he's got this inappropriate level of bitterness. And so Jonah's sitting on this hill and he's like humphing. And God says, uh, he provides a plant for Jonah. Like it's real hot, it's in the desert, they're in Assyria somewhere. And so God springs up this plant overnight and Jonah's like, whoa, this is awesome. Like there's this shade. He's like, this is a very, very comfortable place to await the judgment of my mortal enemies. Like this is awesome, right? And he's like settling in, like he's watching the Super Bowl. He's like, this is awesome, right? And he's all happy because of the plant. And then the next day, God provides a worm. God provides, is a really cool theme in, in Jonah, he provides a fish to swallow Jonah, a plant for Jonah. He provides this worm that like starts munching on the plant. The plant's like, mm, withers and dies. And the sun breaks through. He's like, oh, like, oh I'm so mad now. And God shows up and he asks him the same question, but in a different way. And God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? The plant, Jonah? Right, what God's trying to show Jonah is there might be a bigger issue to, in you here, right? Maybe this isn't just about Nineveh and my judgment and my decision in this matter. Maybe there's something that's hurting you more deeply because you're pretty mad about a plant, Jonah. Right? This is like when you're like all irritated about something at work and you come home and like, oh, I'm just gonna go work in the yard and then like you're trying to use the shovel and then like slips and hits you in the shin. You're like slamming the shovel down and like then your husband comes out or your wife comes out. They're like, are you okay? Like, oh, it's a stupid shovel, right? It's like, are you sure you're mad at the shovel? Like, is there something else going on here, right? What they're trying to draw out is, I think there's something deeper that's hurting you that's coming out in a lot of weird ways. One thing we can see as we read the story of Jonah is that this bitterness that now we know he's had since the beginning has been coming out in a lot of weird ways, right? He's refusing to listen to the call of God. He's trying to be a good Jewish person, but he's refusing to listen to the call of God. He's acting in a way where he's trying to get people to murder him. He's talking, he's talking, I don't even know how to say this. Everything he says sounds crazy to everyone else like us who's listening into the words that he's using and it seems like even the good godly words he's using are coming out with this really strange tone and like if we were his friends, we would be walking alongside him in the book saying, Jonah, are you sure you're okay? You say you're a prophet. Are you sure you're supposed to go to Tarshish? And you say that you believe that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Are you sure you should be so mad about when he actually does it? Jonah, are you, you seem pretty mad about this plant. Are you sure you're mad about this plant? Right? Some of us have had bitterness in our lives for so long that it has become like that cancer that's destroying even our walk with God. We're becoming resentful towards him. We can't let go of the anger we have against others. We're not living in a righteous way anymore. Our, our prayer life is dried out. We go the opposite direction when God calls us to step into something. We refuse to listen to his call. It's like our hearts are becoming hardened. They're not even filled with fear anymore. We just do the thing we do. 
Because we're bitter. God asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? I ask you, if you're my friend, can you agree that bitterness is damaging your life? Can you just agree? Can you agree that bitterness is damaging your life? It's not hurting them. It's hurting you. God tries to remove the splinter. He tries to cut it out with a scalpel. Well, it turns out that, that Jonah is, seems to be too far gone. Right? And, and God continues to work because no one's too far gone. At some point, God just gives him this beautiful message. But God asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? This is my favorite verse in the whole Bible for some reason, right? Because I just feel like it encapsulates, not my favorite verse, my most ironic verse in the Bible, because it encapsulates the, uh, the nonsense of a bitter heart. God says, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah says, it is. Let me tell you why. I'm angry. I'm angry enough to die. That doesn't answer the question. Being mad doesn't make you right to be mad. And yet Jonah is just crippled in this bitterness. And so God results to stage three, which is just like, I'm gonna preach a message to you that I hope will stick to your heart. And if you're someone who's bitter, you're being incapacitated by it, it's hurting your life and you can't let go, you don't wanna let go, even today, I'm just gonna read this passage from the Lord to you and I'm gonna hope in the same way that at some point, someday, this phrase from God sticks to your heart and starts to do the surgery that you desperately need so that you don't die from this thing. This is what God says to Jonah. The Lord says in verse 10, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? and also many animals. Bible scholars call this the argument from the lesser to the greater. God says, Jonah, you care so much about this dumb plant. I care about human beings. I look at Nineveh and I see people who are just wandering and lost and perishing in their sin. If you can care about a plant, can't I care about humans who are going to hell? Can't I care about that? God even says, there's animals too. Those are better than plants, right? Can you care about something in Nineveh? I care about this city. I care about this person. I care about your enemy. I care about that person who hurt you in that desperate way. Can you let me care about humans? I mean, you care a lot about a plant. The question I want to leave you with, if that's where you're at, like, I just cannot let go. I cannot let go. This is the one for it to, like, to bounce around in your brain and hope it'll stick at some point. It's this, can you let God teach you how to love people like he does? And Jesus says, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. Right, you want to be my kids? Act like me. I love my enemies. I'm for those who hate me. When people hurled insults at me, I didn't retaliate. I said, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. I love that 
connection between the, they don't know their right hand from their left to Jesus on the cross who has that same posture. It's the same God. It says, don't hold them accountable. They, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how much they're hurting people, God. Give them grace, give them mercy. They need it. Lord knows they need it. And Jonah, Jonah never gets it. Maybe we will. There's a powerful story about a woman named Corey Tenboom, uh, who was a Christian person in World War II who I felt like God's call on her life was to rescue Jewish folks from the concentration camps. And so she did until she got caught and sent to one herself. She suffered terrible torment. She got out alive and then went on to kind of share her story of forgiveness. And one of her most powerful stories, there's a link to a sermon where she talks about it in the notes if you go on the app today. Uh, this powerful story, she talks about sitting in a church service and hearing someone give a testimony and recognizing that they were a guard at the concentration camp that affected her in such a desperate way. And they're talking about how God has forgiven me, I'm a Christian now, it's beautiful, everything I did is gone. And she's like, not to me it isn't. And so she talks about having to go up to this Nazi guard at the end of the service, and she said, I felt like my whole destiny lay to the balance of will I extend my hand of fellowship to this man or not? And eventually in Corey's life, the gospel won out and she said, the moment I grasped this guy's hand, it's like this swelling of like gospel beauty overtook me as I realized that we were both sinners saved by grace and by Jesus Christ. Now, Corey's, let me read this for you, we'll close. And this is what Corey Tenboom says. She says, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. Forgiveness is the secret, like Solomon said, to becoming uncaged. Next week we turn the mirror around and start looking at us when we've sinned against others. And so today as we close in prayer, this is like your last opportunity in this series to say, God, please take this bitterness away. Take this resentment away. Give me the grace to forgive those. Give me the obedience to forgive those who need it. Give me your heart in this thing. So let me pray for us and then we'll respond in song.